0: You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the Comics XF interview podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote, And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guests are here to talk about the upcoming image series, The Infernals. John Pearson, Noah Gardner, and Ryan Parrott. Welcome, everyone. Thanks How for having you? us. So, Noah, you're new here, uh, so we're going to put you on the hot seat to start. <laughs> what are some of the f- perfect? <laughs> what are some of the first comics you remember reading? Uh,
1: the first comics I remember reading. So when I was growing up, I tell the guys all the time, I I didn't really grow up reading comics. My first exposure to comics was really I was reading. I read a lot of Tintin and a lot of Asterix, the Gaul when I was when I was a kid. So I was in, in a lot of sort of like Euro heavy. Eurocentric comic creators, but I didn't really know much about the sort of, I was an X-Men fan, but I didn't really read comics per se. And then in my career as a screenwriter, I started getting submitted lots of creator owned books. And my agent would sort of send through all of these different books. It was this entirely new medium that I was not particularly familiar with. And I just sort of dove in because I fell in love with the medium and, and, uh, what people were doing and i was thinking that this this is some of the best art and literature out there and some of the certainly some of the best storytelling and so i did a kind of incredibly deep dive the last few years into all, tons of creator owned books a lot of image stuff a lot of dark horse a lot of sort of older vertigo books which obviously is a is a big influence on on where we found ourselves with the infernals um but that's kind of my trajectory as a comics reader. And of course, there's sort of been an intersection for me. I wrote, uh, uh, I, I, I did a project for DC Films. And so I, I was getting exposed to the New 52 at the time and a lot of uh, sort of DC lore then. Um, but yeah, I've kind of come
0: to it in through my career, to be honest. That's 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 interesting. So your your agent was sending you comics, if I'm if I'm hearing you right, and it was kind of like, maybe you could adapt this, maybe you could adapt this, like that kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of stuff that was being sent through for adaptation. And uh, some of them were smaller indie books, some of them were at the, you know, at the at the bigger publishers like Boom Books and and uh, Dark Horse books and the like. Um and I, I'm trying to remember the first book. That I just sort of it, this this one actually was not submitted to me. It was a book called Manifest Destiny. It was a Chris Dingus' book that uh, from is it was an image book. I think it was a Skybound title, and I just completely like lost my mind. I was like, "This is an this is an this is incredible. This is of course it's cinematic." I I, I think the rights were tied up at the time, but I just sort of fell in love with what you could do and uh, and started reading as much as possible. And now have all of my shelves just sort of filled, yeah, filled with trade paperbacks in a way that uh, my wife isn't incredibly psyched about. But uh, <laughs> but, but, it's, I, but it's I mean it's become this sort of compul, you know. I just I I have to have like everything that comes out. I have to read everything. Uh, and and yeah, that's sort of how it all that's sort of how it all began. Thank you, Skybound.
2: I went over to his house. I remember one time we were working on something like really long time ago, like 10 years ago. And he would we were working on stuff. And it's that thing where you're like working and you're like pacing around. And I look over and there's like a stack, literally like two feet high of, of of like graphic novels. I was like, man, you read a lot of comic books. He's like, oh yeah. And there was like all the best stuff too. Was, I was just like, he's like, oh yeah, that stuff they've been sending over to me. I was like, they want you to adapt all of this? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was pretty cool. Yeah.
1: And the truth is, they didn't want me to adapt. <laughs> that's, the, that's the secret. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Ryan, I will say, not to go on too much of a tangent, but Ryan, do you see that little, uh, obviously yeah. this is an audio medium, but you see that? that? That is that is a drawing that Ryan Parrott did, I want to say six, seven years ago. It's a little robot, and uh, it has <laughs> somehow managed to stay adhesively stuck to this whiteboard that I've got. so It's now Ryan, permanently you...
2: part of the whiteboard, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It
1: is a load-bearing
0: uh, <laughs> doodle. Yeah. You know, at first I was just looking at the whiteboard like, I, I, it, I don't know if it's, there's a glare off it. Then I realized, oh, it's the little pink Post-it note at the bottom of the... <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The, 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 the empty whiteboard. <laughs> the glaringly empty whiteboard, Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Uh all right, Ryan. The uh the dolphins are leading the AFC East nine to three. This is why I came on board. Here we go. Are you prepared to face the Eagles in the Super Bowl?
2: Oh
3: god, that would
0: be
2: amazing. <laughs> Although I've thought about this, like my team's been so bad for so long that I've never really had to worry about ever like none of the games ever mattered. And mm. the idea of watching a game that actually matters, having that added pressure on top mm-hmm. of me liking the team i don't i might have a heart attack like i think i would like i so i'm not entirely sure if i want that to happen it would be cooler to like lose early so i wouldn't have to deal with that but the idea of watching the dolphins in the super bowl would be i don't i don't i literally don't know if i could handle it i think i would have a hard time watching the game i'd be i'd be that guy that's like at the back of the party who's pacing and keeps wandering out of the room and just like yelling that would be me so yes yeah that would it would be very freaking ridiculous it's been fun I like- i'm
0: I like the idea that you, as a professional storyteller, are not used to stakes. (laughs) (laughs) Have you read my books? Power Rangers, no stakes.
3: (laughs) (sighs) Meanwhile, they're already getting the light pole grease ready here in
0: Philly.
2: (laughs) Oh, God, yes. It's fun. How, how is that? Was...
0: I, I, you know, Jalen. I'm just saying, Jalen Hurts is just one knee snap away <laughs> here in the final weeks of the season. Yes, that's fun. Can I, can I ask I'm... you? Are you, so you guys are in in
1: Philly right now. How is the mood post, uh, post Cowboys game?
0: Well, I live
3: right across, the, I live in Jersey, but you can literally see the bridge to Philly okay. from my house. Okay, gotcha. So, um, I have not been in
2: the city today. But I... you can
1: feel the panic across the river. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I did see there's a little kid standing outside the Eagles facility holding a sign Fire Brian, your defensive coordinator. I was like, "Dude, you're 10 and 3." <laughs> <laughs> like, "Calm down." <laughs> this is this is
0: Philly sports fandom in a nutshell. You know, the the beginning of the season when they were undefeated, there were people who were like, the, the birds suck. Their schedule is just too light. Blah blah blah. I'm like, do, do you sec. guys ever just say thank you? <laughs> yes. No. No.
3: No. <laughs> never. Never. No.
0: No. Oh boy. But uh, y'all are here to talk about the infernals, which is your upcoming image series, uh, along with letterer Hassan Asman Elhow. Uh, Matt, be my goat headed servant and read the synopsis.
3: Ah. Abraham. <laughs> Abe Morgenstern, the son of Satan, has one month to live. Before he dies, he must decide which of his three wayward children, volatile narcissist Nero, conflicted field operative Jackal, or troubled schoolgirl Baphomet, will inherit his shadowy empire. But will Abe ever be able to truly cede control of the apocalypse? Or does the Antichrist have something else up his sleeve?
1: good
0: all right <laughs> That's awesome it's on my so, pull list yeah, yeah. <laughs> so wait images and sending you comps let's <laughs> get into that <laughs> Fair. so so what is the origin of this project uh and how much of it involves being sad about succession ending <laughs> that is that, uh, both
1: very good questions i would say the origin of this project i mean Creatively, is this is uh the sort of contemporary interpretation of the Antichrist as a as a young child has always been something that I think was fascinating to every single one of us, and seeing that character in various stages of their life. Um, so on a sort of broad uh, broadly, that was sort of the creative genesis of this, but how this all came about was Ryan and I had been, t- we worked together years ago. We were both assistants at Bad Robot, uh, which is J.J. Abrams' produ- production company. And we'd been talking for many years about doing a comic together. And we've worked on features together. We've, we've kicked around TV ideas before. And this was the first time where I, I said, look, I, as I was sort of reading more and more comics and falling in love with the medium, Uh, And of course, love Ryan's books. Uh, And we would talk story all the time. We said, hey, maybe we can come up with an idea together. And I would send him lists of various comic ideas. And you know that like email response that you get that's just like as tepid as humanly possible, where it's just like, (laughs) yeah, it's cool. It's all right. (laughs) Like, sure. Like maybe maybe that maybe that one like I don't know keep noodling <laughs> and so I was like all right well none of these are landing and then one day uh, we had been talking and I and and I I think I had just rewatched The Omen certainly was watching Succession uh, and just sort of was thinking about different phases of life and realized that I'd never seen the Antichrist as somebody who was older or as somebody who was aging uh, and reached out to Ryan and said is this something and immediately. He gave me like an actual fuck yes let's go let's do this thing <laughs> and so you know what yeah that, that was that, was, I a, think that my, was a distinct difference
2: i do remember i think my word was where the fuck is this one been Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> yeah. they were like you, you said a lot of ideas and we played with a bunch of them but that was the one that i was like yes it's that idea that when someone pitches to you you're like First off, why the hell didn't I think of that? And then I was so happy, like, that's what I loved about it was like, there were so many layers to it. Like immediately could see the story. And that's when I was like, oh my God, we have to do this. Like I, I it's that thing of like, I want to see, I want to do this because I want to see this story. I want to see this kind of book. So that yeah, I remember the, that was, yeah.
1: It's a, it's a, I mean, it's a rare thing, but it's obvious. It, 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 it does of course happen. I think every creative has this experience where you just, you know, a, a log line or an idea comes through And you find yourself 20 minutes later, you're still talking about what it could be, right? Like all of the different directions it can go and all the themes you can explore and things like that. So this was this was one of those rare occasions where we just immediately latched onto this idea. It felt really, you know, it felt very promising. And as we started kind of ironing out what we thought the story was. Of course, the next question is, well, who who brings this to life? Like, what? Do, how do we how do we, you know, manifest this, particularly this kind of crazy idea that is this hybrid of kind of dark fantasy and, and more grounded sort of corporate intrigue and corporate drama and both of us had seen john's work in the razor blades anthology and i think ryan you'd been familiar with some other stuff john had worked on we were like that is ex- that is exactly the vibe we are going for there is no way this dude says yes yeah, we're going to reach
2: so no Tech was like, "What do you think about John?" And I was like, "We're not gonna. He's not gonna do this." Like yeah. this is- I was like, "It's cute if you want to email him, go for it." But he's not. Gonna, yeah. there's no way this is gonna happen. And I was already making like a list of other people. <laughs> I there's no way. Well, it was and, it was so uh, yeah.
1: yeah. It's I mean this yeah. is of course my my first. Um, I've kind of dabbled in in writing some comics before and working with some really wonderful artists, but uh, this was the first time that it felt like we could really get something off the ground. Um, and we knew that if we if we could get John on board, that that would elevate. I mean, it's it's crazy how much he elevates this book. Like it's it's it's.
4: Why, you know. why did you Why did you think I I would I wouldn't want to do it.
3: <laughs> I was like, "Are you interviewing us?" now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I I'm,
4: I'm, I'm, just, I'm just interested. Like, yeah, it's no, like, it takes, I mean, well, it all it was, of my boxes. The, the... I, thought,
2: I thought you'd be bored, like, I, or not bored, but I thought you, you know what it was? I thought you'd be too busy. Like, I, like, it's like usually when I talk to artists, if I'm like, I'm like, yeah, we should work together, and like, cool, I'm free in 2028, and okay, you yeah. know, and I just thought there's just no way you're gonna have. Cause I knew you had so many other things going on and around that time. And I think what well, I remember, like, I was like, we had like a, I was shocked that you were like, yeah, I have, like a little window. I was like, what?
1: No, I mean the word, word on the street, you, you like John Pearson's, then the next big thing. And we knew that you had, uh, it must've been mindset, right? It was, uh, I think you were yeah, just you about to di- just about to dive into mindset and, um, yeah, so anyway, we had we reached out to John, he was kind enough to read the script, he checked it out and uh emailed us back and we set up a Zoom and again just started riffing and he brought all these just sort of incredible ideas to the table and then, you know, when we when when he started uh doing some of the concept art and and mapping things out everything, of course, for us starts coming together and we know uh sort of what our north star is tonally and um it's you know, that's a uh, What a gift it's for for me, I should say, as somebody who sort of works in the silo of of film and TV development, where you're so much on your own. It's sort of before the process where you're really engaged with uh, the craftspeople who are making your film. So much of it is conceptual. So much of it is abstract. Of course, you can be developing with a director, multiple producers, a lot of different executives, but you really are doing it sort of in theory. And this was my first experience with 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 somebody rendering what I'd written and and bringing it to life. And obviously there's nobody who does it more vividly than John. So that was uh, I, I mean, an extraordinary experience has been a lot of fun.
2: And to say John's the reason the book got greenlit, like we we pitched it. To, <laughs> so I like pitched to Eric Stevenson kind of on the fly. OK, I'm going to tell this really quick. Sorry, Eric's not going to like. Okay, So we so we pitched them. I kind of half pitched it. It's like, hey, I want to do this book. And he was like, cool. And I, but he didn't really pitch the logo, We're just pitch the logline. So I go up to I was at I can't remember what Comic-Con. I think it was in Seattle. And I go to dinner with Eric Stevenson and Kyle Higgins. And we're having dinner and I'm going to pitch, and I have and John's done like the first five pages of the art. So we have that ready. And we're sitting across from him and uh, I'm like, I want to pitch him the book at some point. And was like, uh, Kyle's like, yeah, just wait. And at one point, Kyle goes to the bathroom. And at that point, oh, no, I'm sorry, right before that, we're sitting there and, and Eric's like, what are you guys watching on TV? And I'm sorry, Eric, if you ever hear this, he's like, yeah. He's like, you know what show I don't like? I don't like Succession. and I was just like oh shit like he's just he's just talking about kind of why he doesn't love it and I'm literally holding the the book that I'm about to pitch him which is about succession kind of thing and he and then Kyle leaves the leaves and I'm like well can I kind of and I show him the art and and he goes and I'm like trying to figure out a new comp because I'm like you know we were kind of calling it like supernatural succession a few times I'm like What's another show that I can talk about? And he starts looking through the art, and he's like, "Oh, this is awesome. We're totally gonna make this." And I didn't even have to pitch the succession parts. So I was like, "Oh, thank God, John, you saved us again." I will so- tell. I
1: will. I will tell you as somebody who was receiving the play-by-play of this dinner. There's. There's. There's also. There's also nobody in the world who's more sort of emotive over over text. Well, not emotive over text, but you can tell what they're feeling. So I was like, Ryan, hey man, how's it going? He's like. Not the best. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh shit. Like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what that means. And then obviously five minutes later, he was like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I showed him John's Art and we're 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 really clear. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's it's the second page, the 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 that the the anti nativity that I think really Yeah, the
1: the demonic nativity, which I my god, when when John first sent us that page, man, that was I was like,
2: Oh, we're good. This will be fun.
0: Yeah, that that you know the book's coming out in February, but but uh, seeing that scene in the first issue just in time for Christmas, uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, really gets you in the spirit.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, Noah, how much of an education was this for you working on this book and 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 making a comic?
1: Um, I mean, it's an ongoing education. It's 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 uh it it's. You know, the basic principles of storytelling apply, of course. And so there's a degree of intuition, I think, that you can kind of bring to it, having worked in, in other media. But, um, you know, I, it, that, that's part of the reason why it was so helpful or has been so helpful to have Ryan there. I mean, there are, there are things that are just sort of like the basic nuts and bolts operational elements of writing a comic, where I remember one of the first, I thought I was writing something that was like extremely brief and very clipped. And Ryan was like, yeah, this is about 200 words too long for what can fit on a page. <laughs> and so, of course, there's there, there's the actual sort of mechanics of writing for, for comics that are a little bit different. I think those, you you know, I, I kind of got into a rhythm rather quickly, uh, but still am learning what works. What Comics is all about what doesn't need to be said or what doesn't need to be, you know, sort of, uh, yeah, overtly stated. Uh, and I would say that applies largely to, to any written medium is, you know, it's always a balance of what you need to show, what you need to say, what you don't need to say, what can be done in suggestion. Uh, but the interplay of art and dialogue is unique here, of course. Uh, and so I, all I would say is that it's been an ongoing education. I think that I, I sort of learn new tricks, uh, each time I get out to write an issue, but, um, Ryan and John have been extremely patient and and thoughtful about, you know, uh, the direction that they give me. And it's, it's made me a better writer for the screen, certainly. Uh, it's, I think it's just sort of a way it's, it's honed and, and yeah, made, uh, made me more deliberate with all of my writing across genres and across media. So it's been a, it's been a pretty incredible experience.
2: No, Noah's being a little a, a little humble and and nice in this. Uh, so when I like when I was first doing some stuff like. I brought a lot of projects to Noah like dead day was like a project that I brought to him really early. And I remember like really early on, I was like, this is what my story is. And he was, we were, I remember we were sitting at swingers and I was like, this is my pitch. And he's like, that's not right. And I was like, Which, oh, okay. By
1: the way, for people who don't live in Los Angeles, I feel like I should clarify what swingers oh. <laughs> <laughs> we were about just sitting, we were just sitting at swingers <laughs> for our weekly lunch. Yeah. (laughs) Swingers is, uh, is a a, a sort of famous uh, cafe down on, on Beverly Boulevard. And uh, and so Ryan and I were there.
2: It's the one Drew Carey had like an open account at for all the people who are the Writer's Guild. God bless you, Drew Carey. Uh, But anyways, sorry, we were sitting there and and I pitched him like the project, like the story. And he was like, no, 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 that doesn't quite right. And then basically pitched me back the entire concept and I was like, oh, that's way better. So like, he's done that several times. Usually when I'm in trouble, I call Noah and I'm like, hey, I'm having this problem and he's very, very good at sort of taking your, the germ of your idea and sort of reframing it in a way that helps As a, from a perspective. So it was fun. That That's one of the reasons I was so excited about doing a comic with him because I knew he'd be great at it. The fun part though was like we were writing, we'd write scripts or something together and I'd write a scene and I'd send it to him and he's like, this is good. However, it actually needs to be a little longer than what you wrote. You just, just like throw three light because I'm doing the comic <laughs> book writing, which you have to be really succinct. So I know when we got into comics, I was like, finally, my revenge. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it, it he it's it's I, I I I've co-written with a few people, and this one is probably working with them is the is is my favorite because um I it's it's so easy <laughs> like it really is it's easy to work with somebody who can like take the stuff that you pitch at them and make it better as opposed to when sometimes I'm just sort of fighting against you, trying to get each other's groove or, you know, whatever. Uh, I know I have co written with my wife, so I'm not talking about her, obviously. That's a fun <laughs> and wonderful process that only is beneficial to both of us at all times. Um, but, but yeah, writing with that was better than writing with my wife. I'm kidding.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think from my perspective as well, The I can tell when I get the scripts through that you're both just having the time of your life doing this it's like i mean i've I've only ever worked with a, a single writer before never kind of a pair so not only do the scripts come through and they're like fully fleshed out and i can tell that you've been kind of having this ongoing dialogue between yourselves but they come through, and they just got so much fire and impact because I can, I can just picture you both like being little kids, like in your room, just like yeah, and then we're gonna do this. And it's, I'll, I'll read each script, and I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, I'm so stoked that these guys are just having this much fun on this comic. It's yeah, it's a pleasure for me to, as, a, as an artist, to kind of get those through and, and read it.
0: John, I was kind of curious, you know, what was the the character design phase like for this? You know, did you? spend a lot of time looking at biblically accurate demons and such, or staring at Hieronymus boss paintings for
4: inspiration? Uh, Both of those things, yes. Um, The the biblically accurate angels um, in the first issue, that was probably one of the most researched things because we we wanted um, a lot of angels from different cultures, and um also with the demons as well it to be not just from a kind of stereotypical christian standpoint we wanted it to be across kind of a lot of viewpoints so doing a lot of research for um different representations for different cultures is really important but yeah i i'd love kind of weird and creepy stuff so looking uh around bosch and looking at um the Chapman Brothers, for example, that was a huge influence on the depictions of hell. So, um, don't you familiar with Chapman Brothers? They're, they're a kind of fine art duo who um, they make loads of kind of little maquettes and scenes of hell, and it'll be like Ronald McDonald crucified and loads of just really fucked up shit. So, that idea of hell being very corporate led was something that felt totally accurate for the book as well um so yeah so I think the 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 essence of the story being simultaneously very grounded and a family drama but it's the spawn of Satan and all these uh angels and demons it's it needs to have some some sort of research in, put in place for the art definitely had you
0: jumped from from mindset right into working on this book was there like a gap between the two or anything
4: uh it was it was Pretty much straight away, there was a few um, kind of shorts and and different kind of little projects that I was doing. I was doing some stuff for for Z2 and kind of a few other little short projects. But yeah, it was pretty much going straight into this one as well. Um, Yeah, because I knew the approach for this, I wanted to um, have it pretty high level in terms of the rendering and painting. I wanted to give myself as much time as possible on it.
3: So since the advent of you know, Stringer Bell and Vic Mackey and Walter White, there's been a renaissance in America's love of the antihero. But with Abraham and his kids, we seem to be dealing not so much with antiheroes as much as honestly evil people who want to bring about the end of days. Um, how do you maintain, uh, and pleased to meet you, hope you guess my name, sympathy for the devil?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. And is the, you know, creatively one of the probably most fun challenges about this to to tackle that we're we're contending with all the time is how do we keep these people, you know, how do we keep their motivations understandable? And how do we keep them uh, likable uh, to whatever degree that we can? And that's something that Ryan and I and, and the three of us have had long conversations about but really the, the 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 central framing of uh our main character is that he has been thrust into this role uh without you know it, this is not by his own volition it, he uh was born into this he inherited this responsibility from a father that he resents uh and he himself internally is quite conflicted about his role He's torn between uh, having to destroy the world in which he lives uh and the motivation of trying to please his father and sort of fulfill his destiny and so we actually just look at it you know quite simply from the perspective of of a, you know a son who is conflicted about what their parents want from them uh or really a a, a a child who is grappling with the various uh, various responsibilities and and, uh, you know, growing to, to growing to learn new things and 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 uh, evolve out of these initial roles that have been sort of uh, predetermined for them.
2: Yeah, I, I, if you've read of A Rogue Son, like I'm a, I'm a sucker for sort of bad father son stories uh, or bad fathers and sons, and <laughs> I remember what really got me excited about this was when we came to the, the, the sort of the realization that, and this might be a spoiler, but I don't think it is, the idea that Abe had never met his father. And this idea that other people had and that other people had had this relationship with the devil that he never had. And so you've kind of got this weird sort of situation where he's never met his dad and he's been, you know, the apocalypse for a while. He's been head of the apocalypse for a while time. And then suddenly he gets sick and it's like, well, who gave that to me? Like it's the ultimate disapproving nod from the dad that you've never met who just like snaps his fingers. And like, that's how little you mean to him that you're sort of, gonna deal with that and i remember that minute that happened i sort of understood oh this weird idea that like now he has three kids and he knows how he feels about them so it's like my disappointing father that i've never met has cursed me with this and now i have to leave the apocalypse to one of these three kids who i'm disappointed in who are not the ones that i want i just thought i i totally understood how you could how they how all three of those things sort of dominoed into each other and i felt like Yeah, we all sort of under... If I spoil too much, I apologize. No, no, no. uh, What I liked about that was I... To me, that made it easy for me to go, okay, whether whether we can make them likable. I've always felt like likable is sort of like, you don't need to make them likable, but I think enjoyable and relatable. And I think at that point, I was like, okay, I think we can all kind of understand either if it's from the I disappointed my parents or my parents are disappointed in me. I thought that point would make even the worst characters hopefully mildly sympathetic.
1: Yeah, I think giving, you know, again, uh, giving Abe this sort of underlying motivation of trying his very, very best. It begs the question, what would we do to please our parents? What would we do to secure uh, our father's love? Uh, Would we go to, you know, the lengths that Abe will go to? And it also speaks to this sort of inherent duality within him because we will continue, you'll see as the as the you know series continues along. Abe didn't expect to die. He wasn't expecting to die this you know at this age. He and and we start to sort of wonder whether he's been sort of st- stringing this along a little bit, whether he's been avoiding ending the world, or whether he has been uh, incapable, which sort of makes him question his own. Uh, capacity as as a son, as a man, as the sort of, um, as the child of this, you know, larger than life figure living in the shadow of his dad. Uh, And then, of course, with his children, he's sort of bequeathed to them this incredibly difficult, toxic responsibility and so while he both sort of resents his children for maybe being the ones who are going to have to come in and finish his life's work, he also wants to insulate them from it. And so I think, I think something for us that was kind of the North Star throughout was that we always want our characters to sort of be in conflict with themselves, right? We always want them to want something, but also not want it to happen and be afraid of something, but also want it want to sort of, uh, get it and for us that was probably I think Ryan's exactly right in this distinction between likable and relatable but to us there was uh, there was sort of something that was you know what could be more relatable than being conflicted about every single choice you have to make and playing it out on this sort of big existential stage and, and something we talked about a lot uh, in our sort of character development particularly with as we were sort of um, figuring out the ages for the various children. We wanted to put them each in a, in a situation where they were sort of having a unique, discrete existential crisis because we wanted this to be a story about existential crises set against the backdrop of an existential crisis, meaning the end of the world. Uh, And so for us, that's always been uh, the way in which we try to make these characters most relatable is just how they are sort of questioning where they are and what 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 it means to be alive
3: and these big sort of
1: fundamental conceptual issues.
3: Just because I always am curious when people are hitting something high concept, what else might have influenced them? Uh, do you have a favorite piece of apocalyptic media, comics, books, TV, movie, whatever?
4: Um, my One of my favorite films is a film called Possession um which is very much about the apocalypse um it's one of sam neill's early films and it's uh simultaneously about a relationship breakdown but then um quickly descends into um something extremely demonic and um the oncoming apocalypse and that's something visually and tonally that's been like just a huge influence on me generally but especially when it comes to my art um i'm a a huge horror fan but that film especially always struck a chord with me because it was something both relatable and um weirdly disturbing and it does have that existential dread so yeah so i think that's my um choice of the apocalyptic um media
1: yeah i i don't know if it would count as apocalyptic because you know i think i think um cinematically thinking about the omen and thinking about rosemary's baby in terms of uh family dramas that deal with issues of a sort of impending apocalypse or demonic presence um I, I I think are so influential that I would have to put them on that list but probably for me I, again I don't know if it counts as apocalyptic but I would say that preacher for me is probably the most my my favorite work in any medium that, tackles issues of God's existence and sort of divine influence on humanity and the both the sort of warring of positive and negative influence and how they kind of intermingle in the human realm uh and drive us sort of towards destruction (laughs) that uh you know I I probably have never I probably have never you know finished a book or movie and felt a sense of dread and apocalypse quite as much as I did upon finishing Preacher. Uh, I don't know whether or not that's the intention, but the sort of darkness explored uh, about the human condition, I I think was quite apocalyptic and certainly, uh, you know, a, a huge influence on what we're trying to do here
2: mine is not nearly as cool <laughs> uh there was a movie from what year was it 1995 called the prophecy starring christopher walken oh hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where he plays the murderous angel gabriel and uh but it does have casey jones in it so that's cool uh but that movie is kind of ridiculous um but behind sort of the ridiculousness of christopher walken you know play bringing people back from the dead and just being walking um it has a lot of really cool ideas in it um the idea that angels wouldn't like humans because humans were placed ahead of them like they are permanently serving and that, that god would love us more the idea that um this idea of a second there was like a lot of really fun big ideas in this sort of post-apocalyptic not but but like angel apocalyptic story that I've always sort of liked and and so we've got like a lot of that and sort of the structure of heaven and hell so I think there's some stuff from that I think that was sort of like in the back of my head when we were playing on this like one of the early concepts that 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 I remember Noah kind of pitched me was this idea of like the corporatization of of hell and there's whenever we could find ways of like taking that idea and making it more, there's a really, is it issue two or three that has like that? The, yeah, uh,
1: it's two. issue two. It's issue two. Yeah, yeah. No, issue but- two.
2: I won't spoil what it is, but there's like a really weird, like the way that you would contact the devil is a very odd. Like I, I kind of it's just like this idea of like the the idea that devil might have a receptionist is kind of a fun idea to me. So like you know like there's that concept. Like there's like whatever you can find those weird things that sort of tie the 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 sort of like the hierarchy corporate world with like the weird supernatural things. Those fun elements I think. And there's some stuff from the prophecy that I remember it was like in the back of my head. So.
1: Yeah. And I will, I will, again, uh, to, I, I will say that to to see John's artwork for a, this convergence of sort of the like weird mundane corporate world uh, with the sort of bigger cosmic apocalyptic imagery is incredibly cool. So you, you get a scene, I don't think this is much of a spoiler, but you get a scene of like literally human sacrifice as a method of contacting the devil. And then of course his sort of, Representative is the one who comes through uh as the yeah, exactly, as the sort it, of like it uh, was
2: like, thank you for calling, he's so busy. It, the, it's the, <laughs> the it, yeah,
1: the administrative
4: uh uh re- representative. Yeah, exactly. Um I mean, I mean point, for right? me, that's that stuff just feels um it it's almost second nature. If you think about big corporations and big business, it is this huge kind of lifeless all-powerful entity there's no like face to it but it's um it's something that always feels akin to having the same level of perceived evil as something like the devil yeah. um so yeah so it's uh it it, it feels great to be able to, to illustrate that and kind of draw those parallels
2: well not to not to that's a you know you know worship him too much but that's the fun thing about working with john on this a little bit is like I've worked with, and this is not to diss any of the other artists I've ever worked with. I've worked with some incredible, I've worked with some amazing artists. But the fun thing about this particular project is it's the first time I've ever given pages over. And I don't, okay, I hope this is a compliment. But there was a filmmaker (laughs) named, yeah, there's a filmmaker named Tarsum. Do you guys remember Tarsum? He did like The Cell and The Fall. Yeah, yeah. That like, I equate you a little bit to that, where it's like, I have a feeling I've read those scripts and then seen those movies. They are not the same. And like, what's fun about when we give you those scripts over, like, I don't know how you're going to interpret them. And so it's a really big surprise when we get the pages back. Most of the time with other artists I've worked with, I know how they're, I know how Abel's going to draw Rogue Sun. Like I, I get, like, he's drawing a superhero book. But what's so fun about this book with, with you is that there's so much leeway and there's so much, There's a there's a stylistic approach that you give to even the simplest scenes, which are just talking head scenes. You find a way to give us something different or you like like that last the that the boardroom scene in the first issue with the angels. I know, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know how much was scripted regarding what those angels looked like.
1: Well, I I mean, I think it it speaks to a a larger point of how we've sort of adapted our style to 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 give direction to John because it's, we, we actually, the direction we give is largely like abstract. It's largely conceptual. Uh, and we sort of just let him interpret that because we know that he's going to do a sort of wild interpretation regardless. Um But I mean, I think, yeah, that was probably like five words of direction. I mean, it was not, <laughs> sorry, man. <laughs> no, I, no, I th- no, it's
4: good though. Cause I think it was just something like, Something like angels from a lot of cultures, or something like that, and it's like excellent. I got it. Yeah. Leave it with me. <laughs> well, it was like yeah,
2: it was
1: like it was like
4: the, it was like celestial boardroom.
1: Go. Yeah, but to be
2: fair, like with sometimes when you give those kind of prompts to to artists, they don't they don't take it and run with it. They do what they, they take, they do the job and it looks good and it's great. But that's the thing that's so fun with you. Like there's this, there's some stuff in like, there's a garden. I think it was in issue two or three that I'm like, oh my God, like you're like, it's just, it's really exciting as a, as the writer on the other side to see where you go. And I, I've i always heard people say that, you know, you know, in, like the way that you equate comics and, and movies and TV is like that. The artist is the director and with working with you, it really is the first time that I've ever seen like, oh man this must be what it's like when you hand over your script to a big time director and they're going to take it and they're going to they're <laughs> going to transform it and make it better than it was like it really is it's a really fun process for me i've never i've never had this before and, it's really, and, and really just fun. to
1: just to tease briefly this this double page spread that we have in um in issue two which was when again when it came through and and john had interpreted it was just mind-blowing but the idea was for us you know at at abe's compound his estate which is called bethlehem uh ryan and i were talking bethlehem, about so,
2: florida <laughs>
1: yeah which, which, is, which is very specifically set in florida for reasons that we don't have to dig into uh yeah in west palm beach but uh we were talking about sort of what would a sculpture garden look like right at the, at the house of the antichrist. And what we landed on was, okay, well each one of these sort of statues is going to be of a uh, sort of a uh, representation of, of one of the seven deadly sins, all of which are sort of the nine princes or seven princes of hell. And, uh, and so we really, again, just to speak to sort of con- conceptual direction that we give, it was really to John, like, draw lust draw gluttony draw as statues and he kind of took that and obviously made it his own and it's one of the it was one of the radder uh images that we've gotten back and and totally blew us away and are very excited to share that one because it's super cool
4: yeah I mean and for me like absolutely love that level of collaboration where there's just that that trust where I know you can give me the scripts, and it's the the kind of nuances and subtleties you'll let me play with, and you'll let me um, kind of play with levels of abstraction because it just it it just works. Um, yeah, the the that scene in the garden that was so much fun. Just kind of thinking about how they could be depicted in statue form. Um, like you you could say like, oh well, it's gonna look like this, but like it's was was the fun in that it's like um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so yeah so it's it's great i absolutely love that and it, it, it works so well for me and my style and my approach this type of storytelling where you you're dealing with um something that has a lot of different layers with the storytelling of what it's actually communicating to a reader so i can kind of switch between something that is very nuanced or something that is very much in your face and they they both work simultaneously So Matt this question is for you
0: my dear co-host uh, how did you enjoy Sam the goat-headed servant of the Antichrist who very much reminds me of if Satan had an Alfred?
3: every week i get new comics i miss alfred and it just made me happy to see that his spirit is out there even if it's in a goat-headed servant of satan
4: excellent i didn't i did not expect that parallel uh- <laughs> <laughs>
3: everybody needs an alfred even the antichrist <laughs> and the goat head just <laughs> well i no i think it's i
1: i mean it's a really good point because it is um you know, Sam for us has always been Abe's surrogate father, right? Like that is, that is his role. And he is (laughs) as the goat headed servant of Satan, he is also the character who sort of most humanizes Abe and most humanizes, most humanizes um, the entire operation really Uh, because we can feel, I think even in the first issue, you can really feel his sort of concern and paternal feeling uh towards this young man this boy that he's raised uh and of course as a sort of immortal being sam has watched you know still looks at this 79 year old man as the infant child that he found in the in the middle of a barn in the middle or in a barn in the middle of uh of the country 80 years ago so uh there's Again, to the question about how do we how do we humanize these characters and how do we make them relatable? Seeing a, a, a relationship with that kind of tenderness and that kind of intimacy, I think immediately sort of disarms us when we're dealing, even with characters like the Antichrist.
2: the Alfred the Alfred pitch is interesting though, in the same way that like Bruce talks to Alfred. He's the only person that I think Bruce talks to Alfred as like a contemporary, and it's mm-hmm. also the only person that Bruce will listen to you know like that way he's he's the only person that brooks really takes criticism from maybe maybe dick grayson but not so much but like that's what i liked about this is we i think we when we first started approaching him we approached him a little bit like um uh what's his name from the godfather um the conciliary oh yeah um, robert the robert duvall, uh, robert duvall. yeah yeah Tom the Hagen. robert duvall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Robert Duvall character. That was the way we kind of approached him. And then as we started to write the series, I think we started realizing, oh, no, no, no. He was he was the guy that was... He's the first person that's like, takes the child and like, yeah. I mean, it, it, the Alfred comp is not not too far off. Uh,
0: John, I know you've worked with uh, Haas before, but Noah and Ryan, how did you enjoy working with uh, the Mad Genius of Lettering?
2: Uh, I have started to slowly come around to the idea that... And that's, it's like it's slowly come around. So such an asshole. Um, <laughs> how important lettering is in regards to, I think lettering is what makes a book look professional or not. I, and not to say that the art isn't, but art can be so stylized. You know, you can see there's so many different areas, but lettering kind of has to be at a certain level for the book to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And this, I, I remember the first time we got some of the pages like that. I think that's that first panel or the second or second panel where the where the his uh, Abe's mother is like going through the convulsions and the way that he had I could feel the breath in the way that he wrote the things and some of that was, was I think Noah scripted that well but like I was a really mad, and I really do feel like like with this lettering like he really does it's like another character in the story like it really does if someone else came in and did it I don't think the book would be as good I know that sounds weird but
4: I mean I, I, yeah go ahead John I, I I mean I think like with Has but. Like he's, I've worked with him on, on quite a lot of things. But the the beautiful thing about him is he works endlessly at getting a lettering style that works sympathetically to my art style, and um, that's that's hard to do because it's I, I don't necessarily have an art style that is, um, what I'd call standard. So something that works well with it and it's not kind of clashing with anything. And again, he can be as fluid as I am with the art approach. And uh, yeah, he just does a fantastic job. And he loves to to conceptualize it and talk about it and think about his decision-making. And it's fantastic. It's not just him sticking the letters on the page. He really does think about how it's going to add to and elevate the storytelling through the lettering. Um, I, th- yeah. I, I
1: think that's, yeah, I, what I was going to say dovetails completely with what what John just said, which is that, uh, you, you know, working with Haas for me has not just been a sort of exercise in, similar to, to working with John, where you're just sort of seeing these unexpected ideas come back that absolutely elevate everything and enrich the sort of tone and texture of what you're going for. So he really, I mean, he gives it a dimensionality that of course we otherwise wouldn't have. But for me, as sort of more uh, you know, of a novice in this arena, I've also been sort of struck by how much Hass's lettering has shown me what you need and don't need on the page to go back to the conversation we were having earlier of just like he has such a good sense of rhythm and cadence to, to what the characters are saying that he, every now and again he would send back he would send something back and I would see the balloon and I would go I can tell that Has didn't you know, like he didn't want those last three words. He didn't need them, <laughs> and that was a way that I could then go, okay, uh, let's let's cut that. And that was that was it. Has been extremely helpful, I will say. <laughs> I will say, sorry to Hass uh, for you know he would send back pages, and I would sort of be educated by what it was looking like, and then I would ask him to do some like minor edits. So I apologize for that. Um, but yeah i mean part of that is just a function of how how well he understands uh comics and the and the craft of it so that that for me has been the most striking piece of it
0: uh john you're doing covers for zach kaplan's beyond real over at vault and you know i have to imagine you're in demand for other work on top of doing interiors for creator-owned stuff like the Infernals. How often do you get to or allow yourself to say no to things?
4: Oh, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Um, it's, it, it it depends on the project, really. If it's if it's something that I really want to do, um, I will endeavor to make time for it. Um, either that, or I'll just be honest with people and say I really want to do this, but I can't do it till whenever um like like ryan was saying earlier like he expected me to just be like i can't do this until 2030 or something um so yeah it's it's um it gets harder and harder the more work that comes in but um i i i'm a a sucker for just driving myself as hard as possible as well. So I think in 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 all honesty, I just need to take more time off and probably should take on less work. But um yeah, I, I tend to work a little bit faster now. Um I've got a great assistant who helps me with a lot of the work, Loyola. She's she's absolutely fantastic. So she's kind of allowed me to fribble a bit more time. But it's um yeah I'll uh I'll I will i <laughs> will i will i will say yes to something um if I absolutely cannot say no to it i will move my schedule around but um yeah it's i'm going to say no uh, more and more recently now unfortunately
0: uh ryan your uh massive Verse series rogue son is going to put out its 18th issue in in uh, january practically an epic run in terms of modern comics
2: uh, <laughs> god that's sad <laughs> <laughs>
0: How far into the future are you still looking with that book?
2: Uh, I'm not sure what 19 is now. <laughs> um, I, it's funny you asked that question. Let Kyle and I just talked about it yesterday. Um, we're going to keep going as long as we can. Um, and I'm not saying like a hundred cause that would be, that would be amazing. And, and I've done that already. Uh, but, um, but, uh, I think we're going to try and go for a little while longer, hopefully a few more years, as long as the book continues to to support itself and the readership continues to be interested in it. Um, Kyle kind of came to me and was like, how, how do you what, you, what are you feeling? And then he's like, do you have enough story to keep going forward? Because he, we, when I first sort of planned it out, I kind of thought I had sort of four distinct arcs sort of planned. And I was, and he was like, do you, but as you write stuff, the characters start to elevate and you start to find more things. You get more excited about different things you could play out. And so, um, yeah, I think we're going to keep playing. So I'm like, yeah, I've got more for a few more arcs. And so that made me sort of move my ending to a different spot. Um, but yeah, I just, I think the, f- it also working in the massive verse, I think if it was just me, if it was just rogue Sun, I think we probably would be starting to taper it down into an ending. But now that, you know, I like working with all the guys in the massive verse, I'd love doing the radiant, like all the stuff that caused them with radiant black and, and, you know, with massive supermassive and everything, I think and some stuff we have planned for the next year or two, I think the idea is to try and keep it the same size, but to keep finding different ways to explore things and mixed media and all that stuff so hopefully for a little bit longer um i don't know i love it it's really fun it's it's i still i mean i still know it sounds so silly but i still kind of pinch myself when i like that. this kid came up to me at, at the comic con and was like so wait he's like is this in the image universe he's like yeah he's like does he meet spawn and i was like well on a cover <laughs> like <laughs> on the cover and he's like oh my god he's like are you guys ever gonna do that i was like that'd be cool maybe kind of yeah like like the idea that they could would be amazing like the idea of like just being the fact that i have become a superhero in the image universe is along with all of those people that are literally the reason i got into comic books is i'm never going to get over that um so I'm, I'm just trying to do the best story i can that can hopefully be worthy of being in that group if that sounds if that makes sense
3: you did that uh pick your path since we can't use the that particular trademark phrase. I'm
2: still waiting for them to come sue me anytime now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
3: And you did that. And now Kyle's doing the two timeline catalyst war. Overachiever. Whose turn is it next (laughs) to be like, okay, hold my beer. I've got the, the experimental plot.
2: Yeah, well, Kyle also made like a comic book with a podcast. And like I was like, you son of a yeah. <laughs> uh I'm doing something in 19 that I'm pretty excited about. Um that I've been I there was a pitch that I pitched to DC Comics like when I like 10 years ago. And I was like, I want to do this as an issue and uh at the time it's funny it was uh, the editor time was like i don't understand i was like all right this isn't the right place to do that and so uh i've been holding it in my back pocket for a really long time so i'm doing that with issue 19 it's something that i haven't seen done before um and something that i think is only specifically can be done specifically in comic books um which i think is always the goal with what we're always looking for is like how can we actually use the medium in a way that's that, that turns us off that's what i liked about the choose your own, the choose your own path version which was that I felt like that in a comic that works really well. I know other people have done that version. I tried to give it my own spin a little bit and tried to make it narratively a certain thing. And I think that's the fun. And we have something with 19 that I'm hoping, it's not as, I'm gonna be honest, it's not quite as fun I think as the choose your own path, but it's something that I've always thought would be a really fun experiment to do. So we're doing that with 19. I can't, Uh it.
4: I'm
0: sorry. uh since we're coming up on the hour here uh you know what is what's something else that is coming up from any of you that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure you get a plug-in for
2: um i have uh i'm doing another issue of power rangers i did uh, power rangers uh, unlimited uh the Morphin masters which is part of the darkest Hour, I think it's, it's called, yeah, so Darkest Hour Crosslight now, so I'm coming back to do Power Rangers uh, for, for one more issue I think that comes out in February as well um, and then I have uh, three more creator-owned books that I will be talking about hopefully next next year So,
0: Now, with, with Power Rangers, was there a moment there uh, where you were like, just when I thought, speaking of the Godfather, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back
2: in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they. It was funny. Like I was, we, I was at a barcade with Melissa and some other people, and she was pitching me everything that they were doing, and I was like, "Holy crap, man! You guys are taking that to a whole new level." And she's like, "You know, we have a one shot. If you're interested in doing something, it's with it's with the Ranger Slayer," and I was like, "Yeah, I'll do that." <laughs> like, I was like, that'll be fun. Like, it's a one shot. I can do that. That'll be fun. It'll be And it, it kind of it. She was she kind of pitched. It. She was like, you know, it's a lot of the things that you set up in the series that you didn't quite get to tie all up. So I was like, oh, that'll be fun. I can kind of come in and do the thing that I hadn't really like I left it open, hoping someone else would. I basically created a problem and then let someone else from future version person deal with it and now i'm the one who has to deal with it so that was fun but uh yeah that was why they that was like ah that feels mean to just leave that to have somebody else have to figure that out so it was fun but I, i'll always i you know I, I say i'm out of power rangers but usually when they call and they're like hey we got an idea i was like no nah, right i'll do it. it's fun it's, it's just a fun <laughs> it's a fun world to play and the characters are fun it's nice you know I, I i don't usually say no so
0: any upcoming signings or appearances as you count down to the launch
2: um, None for me, uh, just cause it's the end of the year. I'm going to, it's the holidays until January, but mm. I think we will, we already, we, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, we are trying to come up with some stuff around the actual release of the book, right?
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay, I mean, Yeah, yeah. it's, it's released on Valentine's day, whether or not that makes it, uh, Perfect. more or less viable, who knows? <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I'll be coming back over to the U.S. next summer, um, so yeah, that'll be my big kind of push stateside, um, kind of promoting the infernals. Um, so by that time, I think the the fifth issue will be kind of out roughly. Um, so yeah, so it'll be uh, kind of July August time that I'll be coming back over for some some cons. Um, but yeah, until that point, then yeah, there'll be um, uh, other things around the the release. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Noah I, I, I'm guessing we will find time to do a signing or two around the release. I don't know the specifics of it, but I'm pretty sure I've talked to some spots in LA or otherwise. So, yeah, we'll probably yeah, yeah,
1: I
0: think we, we we will be doing something in LA around the release for sure. Yeah, um, because you've got such a long lead time at this point. Do any of you happen to know when FOC is, just so we can let people know? Uh, it's January twenty second oh right on
4: yeah you got more than a month kids yeah january january 22nd is foc and then it's in stores february 14th for the lovers
2: this is the only book i've ever been ahead on and i don't know how to handle (laughs) it it's insane it is so weird i'm like so much time I, I feel I, like Scrooge McDuck in like the big money pit <laughs> of time it's
1: like whatever we can spend
2: all day here it's well, yeah, amazing we'll yeah. check
1: back in and Four
2: months. Yeah. <laughs> See how it's me, well, yeah. Yeah.
1: This thing happens where we talk, we're like, well, we're, you know, technically we're like five months ahead. And then the next month it's like, oh, no, 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 it's okay. We're four months ahead. And now we're three months ahead. And it's like, okay, well, this does seem to be dwindling. Uh, but we're, you know, we, we are, we are uh, a bit ahead of the game. And I think it's made it easier on our editor. Who's, who's just, uh, who's wonderful and, and, uh, as organized as a human possibly can be. Um, and we're super excited and thinking uh, thinking about what comes next just in terms of, you know if we if we do manage to hook an audience and uh, what subsequent arcs can look like. and um, it's really exciting to think about how this ties up and where it's sort of gonna uh, launch us into because there's a whole there's a whole universe here and it's it's exciting to start exploring.
3: Penultimate question. Uh, what are y'all reading right now? And Noah, don't make us all look like pikers and say everything. <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> what am I reading right now? I am,
1: let's see, I'm looking around. I have just gotten uh, super into, I, I, I've i worked with with a writer named John Lease a bunch, mm, uh, yeah. who, who's right. just terrific. Recurring guest on the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So we, we've worked together and, uh, and a lot of his books are, are, um, his writing has definitely been a huge influence on me and, and I've sort of fallen in love with, with his storytelling. And so right now I'm reading a lot of Sync, uh, his book with Alex Cormac, who, who is also a friend and, and, uh, a terrific artist. Uh, I've been reading some, uh, I read a lot of trades, um, I don't, I don't keep up with uh, as much on the monthly comics, but I've been reading uh, Alex and Rich's uh, Breath of Shadows, which I think is just absolutely terrific. Um, really been enjoying. I guess this is coming out monthly. The Drive Like Hell, which they've uh, got mm-hmm. for Dark Horse, um, so that's kind of top of the top of the stack right now. And I've been. Uh, yeah, I've been revisiting some some older image titles as well uh to potentially try to chase down.
4: Um excellent. Yeah, I mean I've I've been kind of dabbling with all sorts of stuff. I mean currently um kind of Martin Simmons and James Tynes Dracula is like fantastic. Um sorry, Thoroughgoods uh run on hack Slash as well is um it's very zoe which is what i love about it um so yeah so like they're the the kind of two kind of mainstream things and then a lot of small press really um i've been reading a lot of stuff by something called leo fox um they've done a uh, a book called goodnight starman which is is really really kind of interesting and weird um and uh a lot of local leads creators where i live are just doing some superb work at the minute so i work with will morris who just did gospel um on image um which is absolutely sensational um there's uh jemma sharp who does kind of really weird um kind of sexy <laughs> um pointless comics that are self-published and then anna redman who's um Just won uh, the Guardian Observer Prize for um, comics in the UK, and she's a a, a local creator who's just doing really interesting small press work as well.
2: Um, Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm been trying. Haven't been reading reading as many comics as I like. Uh, But I started. I just started reading World Tree, the Tynan book. (laughs) That thing is man. I I love when I read his stuff because I'm like, damn it. It's just like he makes you feel like you're not working hard enough. Also because he's like <laughs> writing 200 books at the same time and I'm like, God, and they're all really clever and good. Um, I'm reading Love Sick a little bit by Luana uh, Yeah. Be- yeah, Be- yeah, Be- yeah. Who is, does she does the covers for Sun. She's her stuff. So that's intense. <laughs> and then, um, I started, and then I'm just reading some like non-comic stuff I'm reading. I'm finally trying to keep up on the Ender's game projects. I'm catching up all Speaker of the Dead and the Hediumon stuff like that. So that's taken up a lot of my time. Um, yeah. But other than that, I got to read more comic books. I, I got it. It's a, it's a, it's on my to do list.
0: Uh, well, gentlemen, this has been a fantastic time. Final question as we release you back into the world, how can people follow you online and keep up with the infernals and everything that uh, you got going on? Uh, John, why don't you go to start, go first to start.
4: Uh, you can find me on pretty much every social media platform, just at John J Pearson. It's the same across everything. Um most active on Instagram um you can also support me on patreon where there's uh some behind the scenes uh looks at how the is put together um kind of the the traditional approaches and the digital approaches so yeah go find me
2: yeah i'm at uh i'm on twitter and instagram at that ryan parrot two rs two t's um and then all the stuff that we're kind of doing you can take a look at it at uh, blackmarketnarrative.com so
1: uh, and I am, I literally have to look up my Twitter handle. Uh, I'm at, I'm at Noah G Gardner at, uh, uh, on, on Twitter and, uh, not super duper active, but definitely there will be some more announcements, um, regarding infernals and, and, and some other cool stuff. And, uh, in the new year i think post strike got a lot of exciting announcements coming in the in the film and tv space as well so follow me there for that uh again it's noah g gardner i i not just noah gardner
0: all right guys thank you so much for coming on the show all awesome, right thanks nice for having us thank, thank, you. You. thank you thank you very appreciate much appreciate it that's it for this week's show as a reminder wm QA is part of comics xf where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at comicsxf.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash comicsxf, where a dollar donation gets you a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $2 donation gets you early access to WMQ&A and a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $3 donation gets you a sticker, early access, and a shout-out. A $5 donation gets you access to our monthly bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the comic appearances of British mutant super-spy Pete Wisdom. A $25 donation lets you request a primer, one of our custom reading guides for a series, character, or creator at XF, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Lisa Slack, Will Redman, Tobias Carroll, Natalie Jordan, Mike Sagawa, Will Nevin, Liz Large, Asimov Fangirl, Carla Pacheco, and Robert Secundus. You're all special and we love you. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. You can also follow ComicsXF on Facebook, Instagram, and Blue Sky. And until next week, remember, Rob Liefeld's greatest contribution to comics isn't Deadpool or Youngblood or even Major X. It's his impression of Todd McFarlane.